Welcome to the Hope Athletics Orange and Blue Podcast. My name is Andy Babbitt, Sports Information Director at Hope College. It's been my privilege the past uh, two years to bring you this podcast where we meet with the different people that comprise the Hope Athletics family, administration, coaches, student-athletes, alumni, and uh, catch up with uh, them and what they're doing. And um, it's uh, my thrill this this. Uh, month of June with the 50th anniversary of the Title IX legislation to have with me uh, Ellie Douglas Jordan, class of 04 and former cross country and track and field uh, runner. And uh, Ellie, welcome to the uh, Orange and Blue podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I thought of you, uh, you came on campus this spring uh, for our Hopi ceremony as our latest, latest recipient, uh, you know, with the uh, Hope for Humanity Award which is presented to Hope College alumni athletes who have demonstrated Christian commitment and service to others in their careers and hope. And I I remember the conversations that we had, uh, you know, in the afternoon uh, prior to the award ceremony and kind of your journey, both at Hope and then after you've graduated at Hope. And I couldn't help but think about Title IX and how that helped create opportunities for you to be where you are today. And I I guess first kind of a general question, when you think about Title IX, what does it mean to you personally? Well, Title IX is such a simple piece of legislation really um, that embodies the principle that we shall not have discrimination on the basis of sex in education, which Um, Since I'm 40, um, it predates me about 10 years and sort of looking at what that has meant for my life is that I think it really is emblematic of what my particular cohort kind of faced in education. Um, So many of the women that we stand on the backs of were the people that really pioneered for us. Um, I was I was rarely the first woman to do a lot of things. I know there's been a lot of women that have gone before me doing, being the person that got all the weird looks and had to suffer all of the discrimination. And it meant that um, where I came into being and where I, where I sort of fell, um, the path was readied for me in many, many of the places that I chose to go, whether it was law school or athletic endeavors or um, the, the courtroom. Um, I think it was sort of in a, in a nascent stage though, because um, certainly there's been times um, where my gender, um, the ways in which my gender does not experience privilege has, um, has meant that I have felt um, significant discrimination. Um, But I also acknowledge that I have had tremendous privilege in that. um, And and I'm a white woman and, um, you know, I present um, as straight. So that's, those are things that have privileged me. So Title IX really has, um, has meant that I had a right, um, at least on paper, right, to, to experience um, uh, an education free from discrimination on the basis of sex. And um, the way that Title IX has begun to fully flourish in its 50 years um, and hopefully will continue to complete that promise that it puts out there is something that um, has affected my life maybe even more so because I am enthusiastically supporting 
um, those efforts to make Title IX truly mean something. Um, I've had the great privilege to work alongside and to um, have friends and, and loved ones touched by sexual assault on campus. And um, for that to be something that is taken seriously and so that we no longer have the empty seat that is um, should be occupied by the quarter of students who experience sexual assault who end up having to leave their campuses. All of that um, is the kind of thing that actually gets me up in the morning. And so that has impacted me quite a bit. Um, so I think that um, it's hard to, um, I think it would be easy for me to take for granted a lot of the promise that Title IX has fulfilled thus far, but um, far be it for me um, to set aside, to become lazy, right, to, be, to rest on my laurels and not um, continue to encourage that Title IX continues to fulfill its full promise. Were you, when did you realize, hey, I want to be a competitive runner? Um, was it in middle school or high school? And how, when did you realize, hey, this is something I can do, I enjoy, and I'm, I'm you know, pr pretty good at, um, and want it to be something that, um, from our conversation, really running has been part of your entire yeah. life. Yeah, running, um, being able to have access to team sports and full, um, full access to that, um, another piece of the Title IX promise that has been so meaningful to me, um, I think, I had the privilege, you know, as a, a young person to see uh, as many young people do. I think I was inspired by um, like Florence Griffith Joyner and other amazing athletes that I saw um, compete in Olympic um, competition. And uh, I think I had uh, parents and a mom who really was incredibly encouraging around, um, around all, anything I wanted to do, but particularly around, um, around athletics and running. And, um, so kind of very early on, I started to realize that athletics was something that not only was really fun and, and, and interesting, and, you know, perhaps I wasn't terrible at, but also that it was something that I, um, found was really critical to helping me achieve the balance that I need to feel really good in all the things that I want to do. And so um, that sort of ability to get out um, all of the energy that builds up when you're doing cerebral things um, became really important to me. I think I was probably, I remember very clearly um, you know, watching, watching Olympics as a, as a pretty young child with, and telling my mom that I wanted to, you know, run. And so then we went to the park and did some races and had some fun with that. I have a real clear memory of that. Um, but I also, you know, throughout high school was able to do, um, basketball and volleyball and love those sports and those, um, the, the team community that it creates, as well as the, um, opportunity to really help regulate all of the emotions that you experience in, um, in, you know, your daily life. Um, it's, um, it, it has become one of the really core things for me. And so that's, um, I think ever, ever since a young age, I've known I wanted to participate in that throughout, um, middle and high school, I had the opportunities because of Title IX to really participate. Um, I think cross country and track are some of the fields that um, were at the cutting edge of really full um, 
equality between um, male and female athletes as far as um, what was offered. You know, it, it was never, you know, there were, there were never that many fights about different seasons. We got to be alongside our male competitors and it didn't feel like we were um, sort of a special group. Um, and then um, being able to, it really in high school being mostly on a really good team and then um, not being horrible on that really good team um, gave me the sense that it would be um, really important for my um, emotional and physical well-being to be part of the team um, at Hope if I was able. And that did prove to be a community that um, got me through some of the hardest moments in my life and really were, um, you know, continues to be some of my closest friends. What was it about that those moments or that, that teamwork that helped you. And, and I would imagine probably there were some that you were your teammates and friends with that you gave back as much as you, you know, uh, as much as you received, talk about that dynamic and how that helps uh, a young woman uh, who's growing up and, and figuring out what she wants to do with her life. Oh, for sure. Um, I think there's something, and I, I, with all the sports that I've participated in, um, the sense of doing something together being, you know, we're not, we're not in this alone, um, sets up the stage for, um, a real opportunity to build unity and, um, cohesion. And then, um, with running sports in particular, especially those longer, those long runs, when you're getting trained up, give you lots of chances to talk things out. Right. Um, and I, um, I actually even, um, got to know my husband, um, by training for a marathon. So I, I'm a big proponent of long runs to get to know somebody well, um, because it's those opportunities where you can really talk out what's, you know, what's troubling you, what's bothering you. And, um, by being a person that helps get another colleague or, or friend through a long, hard run, you learn the skill of supporting someone through their more difficult emotional experiences. And so kind of um, the people, the people that were there with me saying like, Hey, no, don't give up. Keep, keep running hard are the same people that I call when motherhood gets hard are the same people that I call when it's just too much at work and um, you know, kind of talk them through. They're my squad. So I think you build that you just like you flex um, your physical muscles in athletics, you end up flexing those emotional muscles and build the skill of being that support person to someone. Your studies at Hope uh, majored in social sciences. Um, Did you know when you came here, that's what you wanted to do? Or how did that journey come about and help you start to probably put into focus you know, what you wanted to do post-graduation? Oh, um, yeah, I came into Hope pretty much centered on um, social work as a, as a career. Um, that was my mother's career, and that was what I envisioned doing. Um, what was great about Hope is it um, helped sort of kindle and, um, and, and, perfect, uh, a, a passion that I have for writing. And um, I soon realized that um, a career that had a lot of writing and um, and talking had uh, would be something that would be sort of a, a good place for me. I didn't know coming out of hope that I wanted to pursue the law in particular, um, but I did have a stronger sense that, you know, in addition to being um, 
exactly what my mother did. I wanted to take those themes and um, and build on what she did as a as a social worker and take it into a, a perhaps a, a slightly more macro um, angle. So um, I had I still have a pretty strong heart for my social work colleagues, and uh, I feel that I, I bring a lot of that in. Um, but I've been able to bring the um, some of the other skills that I was able to learn in, in my um, religion and international studies and political science majors into um, to bear in the in the law and use that those particularly um, hope professors as a general matter don't let you slough off on good writing and um, they pushed me in a way that I think I um, really did me a service when I got to law school. With, with being an athlete, how did that help you as far as managing studies? College in particular on its own is challenging in its own right and has a lot of demands and at times um, rewarding, at times exhausting. Um, yeah. And that how did that opportunity that you had to be a runner growing up, to be a member of the team, how did that help you navigate that and, and to be able to accomplish you know, what you wanted to accomplish each semester? I think um, the two key pillars were really um, balance and time management. So being able to um, have that sort of um, physical outlet for the different stressors and, um, and cerebral activity you have going on um, was a good balance. I actually, um, at the time, I, I felt like a little bit strange among my peers. I was um, working quite a bit too. I had, um, I waited tables through Hope and um, so worked quite a bit. I also worked on the grounds crew, um, which was a great experience and one of the most foolhardy things I ever signed on for because um, I am, I grew up on sort of the east side of the state. And so I didn't have any quite way to be prepared for the lake effect snow that was coming my way when I signed up to be on the grounds crew. Um, but I also, I, and I also worked um, waiting tables. So sometimes that meant that the time management was um, really quite extreme where I was going from um, you know, maybe shoveling snow at 4.30 in the morning to um, practice at, at seven to for the early, when the track had it early practices, hopefully, rarely did those follow on the same days, but sometimes it did, um, to classes all day, to practice um, after school, after classes, and then straight to work. And um, there was little time for shenanigans, let's put it that way. Um, so I think time management um, became really critical. Um, I learned while I was at Applebee's to keep things that I needed to study in my little waitress bulletin booklet so that I could pull things out and, and run through and try to memorize things. Um, and, you know, I would often burn the midnight oil as far as writing and stuff. So gave me a, um, the hard work and um, knowledge that I needed to have a physical outlet. Um, I train um, attorneys right now on how to manage the secondary trauma that comes when you're hearing difficult client stories all the time. And one of the real pillars that's uh, coming out of the social science on that is the need to have um, physical activity um, and hard physical activity as part of your life. And so when I when I know when I'm, I know when things are out of whack, when I'm not running enough, <laughs> um, it, usually that that's the thing that regulates me. And it gave me um, sort of a built-in tool and um, roadmap to go back to when I needed um, some balance in my life. 
After you graduated from Hope, your first stop was in El Salvador, where you worked as a missionary with the SHARE Foundation. Um, talk about that experience, what you learned and how, you know, you know, fresh out of college, how that kind of was another pillar for you. Oh, yeah, that was um, that was really the praxis of what I felt like I had picked up being at Hope. Um, I gave, I had an opportunity. I, I knew that we wanted, um, I had married um, my husband just after uh, undergrad was done. And we, uh, I think it was three weeks later, I had my first orientation and within, within a month, maybe a month and a half, we were in El Salvador, a country that we hadn't, we had both lived in Chile and I had spent some time in other parts of the world, but we, neither of us had ever been to Central America. And so um, it was brand new um, and really having the opportunity to be in solidarity with folks who were experiencing profound poverty and significant human rights abuses was, um, really it was the culmination of what I felt like I'd been working towards and, uh, working with the share foundation that prioritizes accompaniment of people, um, as opposed to sort of coming in and being, having a charitable model has then shaped the way that I do pretty much everything else. It's, um, I seek to accompany, um, those I serve and, um, it, it really has influenced everything else I've done. And did you, did that prompt you, that experience to consider law school then, or how did the law school idea Um, come into focus? I had an opportunity when I was at the Share Foundation to be in support of a group of um, people who were protesting the the privatization of their water, their water services. So they were really worried that the poor people in their community weren't going to be able to afford water. And uh, they mounted a protest, a peaceful protest, and had been arrested and charged with with terrorism. And uh, I had this opportunity to sort of um, provide support from grassroots organizations in the U.S. to write letters on their behalf. Some of these people were people that I, you know, I knew as colleagues fairly well, and I knew that they had no ill intent, no terrorist, you know, intentions. And so um, it was really quite frightening to see them um, threatened with such serious outcomes um, for doing what they felt was the right thing. And so I, I remember very clearly that we were all very concerned and stressed. And then once we were able to recruit a fairly good attorney to come in and make their case for them, um, a lot of my grassroots efforts, which were helpful, um, wouldn't have gotten the job done and it needed an attorney, right? And um, sort of a, uh, that in that experience, a bit of a light bulb went off, sort of that, you know, lawyers help. <laughs> um, a lawyer can really help and has, has a tremendous ability to, to make change. Um, and at the same time, um, we, my husband and I were both sort of identifying that we'd, we'd love to be in Michigan if we could. Um, we have family that we care about deeply and we want to be near. And nothing that I felt like I was um, prepared to do at that point, um, international human rights work made a whole lot of sense in Michigan. But um, the work in the work of an attorney does make sense in Michigan. There's a lot that I can do as an attorney that is human rights. It's the um, something I mentioned, uh, the boring but important stuff that really impacts people's humans right, human rights. Um, that 
you do as an attorney every day, whether, you know, sometimes, whether it's, you know, something as simple as making sure that somebody has language access so that they can understand their, um, the proceedings against their perpetrator in a sexual assault trial, um, whether it's, um, I'm preparing today for an asylum interview to help a, a, a a person um, make the case that they've been persecuted and and a merit asylum. Those kinds of things really are human rights when the rubber meets the road. And I feel really um, honored to be able to do that. And it wasn't until um, I had a chance to sort of see a lawyer in action that I felt like I really um, had that, um, that sort of epiphany that this is something I could do. You then got good experience as far as kind of all sides of the law profession with uh, as a clerk for the U.S. Court of Appeals and then in private practice at Warner Norcross and Judd. And then, uh, you know, now then you, your work is uh, at Michigan State's Col- College of Law Immigration Clinic kind of came into focus. Just talk about that growth and how that prepared you for where you are today, seeing the different aspects of law and how to work best uh, to, you know, to get justice for those that you're working for. Well, I always feel like this is, um, since we're talking to the Orange and Blue podcast, I, I kind of feel like um, the thing that I feel like I, I really have to offer in, in all facets of life is sort of a, a bit of a, a flexibility. And um, when I was at, when I was on the track team, for example, I tried lots of different events. I was a middle distance runner mostly, but I could run a longer distance event. I did toyed with the heptathlon a little bit. Um, I, I, um, I'm pretty mediocre at a whole lot of things. And, uh, the, my experience as a lawyer is that I really enjoy, um, I enjoy having a foot in kind of more, um, macro things that end up affecting systemic change. And I also really enjoy representing clients. I, um, I like law that's good and complicated. So immigration law is where it's at. Um, but I also um, end up learning and, and, and um, practicing a lot of different areas of state law, family law, um, you know, different, different areas. Um, and the, the privilege of being able to serve as a clerk on the U.S. Court of Appeals was really unmatched. Um, the, I was one of the first clerks ever to come out of Michigan State to serve at the, um, at the U.S. Court of Appeals level. So that was um, a tremendous honor and one that I always hope to live up to. Um, and I'm indebted to Judge McKeek for giving me that chance and really enjoyed working for him. So, um, and every day um, as a, at, at this point, a lot of my work centers around appellate level advocacy. And so it, it helps me be better um, for the people I serve each and every day. And now you're with uh, Michigan Immigrant Rights Center and right. uh, you lead, uh, lead a team that provides trauma-informed legal services to refugee and immigrant, immigrant children who experience, as you mentioned, unfortunately, persecution and human trafficking. I know for myself personally, as someone who would consider himself a privileged white male, it's hard for me to put myself in uh, those children's, you know, shoes and understand how they're feeling, what they've been through, how to help them. For someone who maybe just doesn't have the ability to understand, what would you want them to kind of hopefully hear and, and, and have more empathy and in some way to be able to help you know, those that are, are, are being, you know, mistreated and, and everything that unfortunately happens in the world sometimes today? What a fantastic question. I think 
um, more than anything, just knowing that people are people. And so if you think it would be really hard for your kid to be, say, put on the top of a train and sent several countries through several countries on the top of a freight train and then shoved into a very packed car and uh, maybe stacked on top of other people and below other people in a um, very hot van and then brought up to a place where they don't speak the language and don't know what comes next, then it's probably hard for these kids too. And there's um, a deep human desire to be safe and free and able to meet your full potential. And that doesn't change when you speak a different language or have a different skin color. And if you forget that for a minute, it's real easy to dehumanize people. And dehumanization has always been the beginning of the end of anything we're ever proud of as a human race. And so when you see people in your communities, learn about them, learn about where they come from and what they're what they're there for and how you can be a supportive person in that community and make sure that your heart is really open. Um, I know there's been, and you've mentioned a few of the people along your journey that have poured their heart into you and to help you become um, the professional and mother and and wife uh, that you are today. Who are some of the women is you, there's probably a ton, maybe too many to, to mention in a single podcast, but can you just in the spirit of, of Title IX, the celebration, who are some of the women that really inspired you uh, and, and helped you uh, as you, you know, uh, became an adult and, and all the things who are, when you look back, what are, who are some of the women that you were really grateful for uh, that you had as part of your life, whether family or friends or just someone you came across working with? Oh, the very first person that comes to mind is um, one of my very dearest friends, um, Jeanette Rupert is her name now, but she was a student at Hope um, with me. And um, she has been providing, she's a nurse um, now in Minnesota, and she has, she grew up three blocks away from where George Floyd was murdered. And she was able to be at that. She has been at the, a chaplain for the families that were affected by that event. She has been in every, in the center of every event that has gone down for the months that have followed. And she is always, um, particularly because she um, is just a person that um, also brings so much joy Um, even in the hard times and has the capacity for joy and frivolity at certain moments, but also brings um, just this sense of peace and always seems to know just the right thing to say. Um, And I think that our connection at Hope really has um, always, you know, uh, was like forged out of that time and watching her um, even though we're contemporaries, I, I feel that I look up to her so much. So she's the first person that came to mind, but man, um, so many, so many women um, and so many people um, 
have, have really influenced me. Um, and I think, you know, I think of a lot of uh, some of my, you know, some of my Hope professors, um, Dr. Annie Dandabadi was a great professor when I was at Hope. Um, she, you know, definitely encouraged me along the way and, and helped me become who I am. Um, there's definitely too many to mention. <laughs> um, I think, you know, certainly um, Professor Veronica Thronson, who's at Michigan State, is um, was my was my supervisor for a time and and continues to be one of my greatest mentors. And um, Professor Renee Kanaki from um, Michigan State, who has a fantastic book though, for those interested in in these topics um, called Shortlisted, about all the women who were shortlisted for the Supreme Court. Um, Professor Kanaki is just uh, uh, Professor Jefferson um, is is fantastic. Her 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 name is now um, Renee Jefferson, and um, she's also a trustee at Michigan State. But she is just a, a superior human being and has always been able to um, inspire me and is kind enough to shepherd me along when I have to sort things out a little bit. And, and lastly, also in the spirit of Title Nine, um, now I know. Oh, obviously we're all, we all have come from different experiences, but for, you know, um, a young lady or a young girl who might be just like you was eight, nine or 10 years old and growing up, or even a teenager, or even a, a student athlete coming to hope, or even presently at hope, um, what advice would you give them about making the most out of their experience and finding their path and where they can make and an impact and how they can enjoy life, whether it's competitive running or studying STEM or, you know, or law or whatever, what, what advice would you give to a young person that's starting uh, their journey? I think the thing that, you know, I have a nine-year-old, so this is a, a pretty easy question for me. Um, <laughs> I think about it all the time. We, uh, the thing I say all the, that I, that I feel is, is really instructive and kind of go, cuts to the quick of all this is make sure you do things that scare you do the thing that do something almost every day that scares you just a little and pushes you outside your comfort zone um i remember finishing my first cross-country race at hope and um my my friend sort of draped her arm around me and um she was like we are college athletes you know <laughs> and um do the thing that makes you feel like, wow, that's just a little beyond the comfort zone or that's that's more than I'm sure. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that well. If you only